This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Russia accused America of intentionally adding fuel to the fire by promising to send precision-guided rocket systems to Ukraine as part of a new $700 million military aid package. The Kremlin said such support would hinder Ukraine's willingness to negotiate for peace. On Wednesday, Germany pledged to send an advanced air defence system of its own to Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russian forces have gained control of about 70% of the industrial city of Severodonetsk in eastern Ukraine, according to the region's governor. And Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, claimed that about 200,000 Ukrainian children have been taken forcibly into Russian territory since the war began. A man armed with a rifle and a pistol killed at least four people at a medical clinic in Tulsa, Oklahoma, before shooting himself dead. Police arrived on the scene just three minutes after they were called, mindful of the horribly slow response to the massacre at a school in Uvalde, Texas, last week. Separately, the 18-year-old accused of murdering 10 people in a Buffalo, New York supermarket on May 14th is to appear in court on Thursday. Cheryl Sandberg, the chief operating officer of Meta, Facebook's parent company, said she will step down after 14 years. Ms. Sandberg served as deputy to Mark Zuckerberg, Meta's founder, helping turn the social media firm into an advertising juggernaut and steering its public image. Javier Olivan, currently chief growth officer, will replace her. Ms. Sandberg will remain on Meta's board. An overwhelming majority of Danes voting in a referendum chose to adopt the European Union's defence policies. With most ballots counted, about two-thirds of voters said they would ditch Denmark's opt-out from EU defence compacts. Danes adopted out 30 years ago, but Russia's invasion of Ukraine has altered how European countries regard their security. Wang Yi, China's Minister for Foreign Affairs, wrapped up an ambitious trip through eight of the Pacific island nations, without striking the comprehensive security deal he had sought. Samoa said the ten countries concerned should discuss it separately. Mr Wong soldiered on, signing lesser deals and signalling China's expanding interest in the region. An accord with the Solomon Islands in April sent Western governments scrambling. America's Education Department forgave $5.8 billion in federal student loans, held by 560,000 former students of Corinthian colleges a for-profit chain of universities that folded in 2015. This marks the largest chunk of student debt the government has erased. It is being asked to cancel much more. Corinthian, which had 105 campuses in 25 states, misled students by fudging its graduation rates and other deceptive marketing. A legal duel between two Hollywood stars reached its cinematic conclusion, with a jury deciding that Johnny Depp and Amber Heard former husband and wife, had defamed one another. Mr Depp emerged the winner of sorts with a $15 million judgment against Miss Heard, minus her award of $2 million. He had complained that she accused him falsely of having committed sexual violence, thus damaging his career in a hashtag MeToo environment. And fact of the day. 2,500. The number of anti-aircraft missiles that Germany has sent to Ukraine since the start of the Russian invasion. 
And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The Bloody Battle for Severodonetsk The endgame for the industrial town of Severodonetsk is underway. Severodonetsk sits in a vulnerable salient in eastern Ukraine, jutting into Russian-held territory. The invaders have been pounding it and the surrounding area with everything they have. Russian television correspondents have already claimed victory. That is probably an exaggeration, but Russian troops evidently have a solid foothold in the city. Fierce battles are taking place in central streets. Local sources suggest that the Ukrainian army has already begun to pull back, portending a broader retreat. Russia has committed a substantial proportion of its forces to taking Severodonetsk and Lyman, a transport hub and possible bridgehead for crossing the Donetsk River farther north. These modest battlefield aims are a far cry from the Kremlin's initial ambition of taking over Ukraine entirely. They also fall some way short of the more recently stated objective of occupying the whole Donbass region, which comprises Luhansk, the region where Severodonetsk is located, and neighboring Donetsk. But the advance is real. OPEC resists the West. The Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries and its allies, which include Russia, meet on Thursday to decide on their oil production target for the coming month. They are widely expected to stick to a modest increase of about 400,000 barrels per day. If so, that will frustrate a West grappling with soaring prices. The price of oil is hovering around $120 a barrel again, not far from the 127-decade high it reached in March. But OPEC has been resisting Western pressure to increase its output more quickly. One reason is the frosty relationship between President Joe Biden's administration and Saudi Arabia, OPEC's most important member. Another is the group's uncertainty about how much Russian oil will end up disappearing from the market as a result of Western sanctions. But OPEC also appears to have little spare capacity to pump more oil. For months, it has struggled to meet even its modest output targets. The oil price rally does not seem to be running out of gas yet. Netflix faces its shareholders. The world's biggest streamer applies a keeper test for employees, firing anyone whose performance is deemed merely adequate. After a turbulent few months, some have started to wonder whether Netflix's joint bosses, Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos, passed the test. On Thursday, the pair will face shareholders at the company's annual meeting. Investors are shell-shocked. Its shares have dropped by two-thirds this year. Despite lavish spending on programs like Stranger Things, the final season of which was launched last week, new subscribers have dried up. Netflix promises a cheaper, ad-supported tier to tempt new members. It is experimenting with new content, such as games and live programming. Yet as competition from the likes of Disney Plus increases and household budgets are stretched by inflation, the danger is that subscribers decide that Netflix itself is no longer a keeper. 
Britain celebrates 70 years of Queen Elizabeth II. Her first solo engagement took place in 1942, when she expected the Grenadier Guards at Windsor Castle. More than 21,000 ribbon cuttings and plaque unveilings have followed, along with 200-plus official portraits and over 300,000 congratulatory telegrams sent to centarian subjects. Between June 2nd and 5th, Britain will celebrate another of Queen Elizabeth II's milestones, the Platinum Jubilee, to mark her 70 years on the throne. Much of what will unfold is objectively ludicrous. People in large hats will parade around on horses. A lunch in Windsor will see an attempt on the coveted record of the world's longest table. But the Jubilee is no trifling matter. A 70-year reign is unprecedented for an English monarch, and the Queen commands widespread approval. Eight in ten Britons have a positive opinion of her. Every single age group thinks of her favorably. The virtues of continuity and consensus that the Queen represents are sorely lacking in other branches of the British state. The spelling bee is losing its spell. It is as much a contest of nerves as it is of words. Yoga and meditation are part of players' daily routines, as is memorizing the Latin, Greek, and German roots of thousands of words. On Thursday, 234 children aged 7 to 15 will tackle streams of obscure words at the finals of the Scripps National Spelling Bee which will be held in person in Maryland after a three-year hiatus. The competition has grown increasingly hard over the decades. In 1928, the winning word was knack. Last year, Zaila Avant-Garde, the first African-American to win the competition, won the B with the correct spelling of Mireya, a genus of tropical Asiatic and Australian trees. She celebrated her triumph with a pirouette but the pandemic has taken some sheen off the event. This year, the local newspapers and other publications that traditionally sponsored regional bees have mostly backed out after being hit hard by the pandemic. The contestant role is less than half the size of that in 2019. Still, for the freckle-faced logophiles competing in this one-of-a-kind linguistic adventure, Thursday's final will offer unbeatable delights. daily quiz. Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include a mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. Which fashionable ski resort, close to the Italian border, was the childhood home of triple Olympic champion Jean-Claude Killy? Wednesday. Which silent film comedian was dubbed the Great Stoneface? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Vita Sackville-West, who died on this day in 1962. 
Women, like men, ought to have their years so glutted with freedom that they hate the very idea of freedom. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.